and we're doing this series we're calling Make It Stick. It really kind of comes out of this idea of when you think about Hebrews as written to people who there's a, there's a tendency there, a desire on parts of them to drift or to turn away, or to fall away. And so the book is written to encourage them to persevere, to continue on, to don't turn back. Keep your eyes on that day when we get to stand before Jesus, and there comes with that great reward. So the question is, how do we make it stick? How do we become fully devoted followers of Jesus? So as a church, we have, obviously that's what we're here for, right? We're trying to make disciples. We're we're here. That's what God's called us to do. And so as we have defined it, we put it like this. Well, it begins with engaging with God. And that's what we talked about last week because it's always about a relationship. It's not about religion. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. And then how do we grow in that? Do spending time in the Bible, do time talking with him in prayer. The second thing is to connect with others. Now, my sense is that for some people, they, they come, they hear us talk about, oh, you got to connect with others, you got to connect with others. That's just something that churches are supposed to say. And they don't really understand how important it is. So we're going to get to Ephesians 2, starting with verse 19, 22. So I hope that you'll turn there. But I want to talk a little theology first. I, I want you, hopefully, more than anything else today, to understand why this is so important. And why it is crucial in your life if you are going to become the person that God wants you to be a fully devoted follower of his that connecting with others is so important because one of the places that we see this or two of the places that we see it is number one in our creation and number two in our redemption so when you think about our creation you go back to Genesis 1 what we learn is that we were created in the image of God that we were to be his image bearers. We talked a little bit about this last week, that we were the special creation. God actually formed us. But part of that uniqueness is that we were made to reflect him, to be his image bearers. And so you have to ask the question, well, what does that mean, that I'm to bear the image of God? One of the things is that God, by his very nature has always existed in community. He is Trinitarian in nature. He's a trinity. And so he is always, from before time began, he has existed in community with himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what do you mean by Trinitarian? Well, let me, let me quote um, one, maybe one of the best-known theologians of our day, Wade Grudem, who's actually a pro- Professor of Phoenix Seminary. But this is how he would express this that God has eternally existed as three persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, and there is yet one God, right? That's the Trinity. So one God, 
but he exists as three persons. We probably see it best at the baptism of Jesus, where you have Jesus, the second person in the Godhead, being baptized. When he comes out of the water, you hear the Father speaking from heaven, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and the Spirit now descending upon him as a dove. One God with three persons. So he has always existed in community. And so when we were made in the, in the image of God, we were made for community, both with God and with others. I mean, you, you think about how he makes man in his first sentence, was well, not good for man to be alone. Community. But here's the problem. We often talk about what now happens is man rebels, man sins, our community with God, right? We're supposed to have community with him, walk and talk with him in the cool of the day. It's broken because of sin. But we often don't look ahead and see, well, what does sin do to our community with others? Well, with God... It causes us to isolate. So man's there. Here comes God. They know that they're naked. So they go now and they put fig leaves around them, which, you you know, you have to admit, probably wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world. But they hide. They hide from God. Isolation. But then you get to Genesis chapter 4 and you have Cain, who now in sin kills his brother. And what happens? Isolation. He becomes a wanderer. He leaves community. And so when Jesus came to die, it was both to fix our relationship with God, but also to fix our relationship with others. So in in the redemption of Jesus, it was that we could walk and talk and know him in a personal way, but also now as we relate to others, we're now going to reflect the character of God. So how does, how does that work? Well, it means that we're going to deal with grace with one another, that we are going to forgive one another, that we are going to care more about the other than we care about ourselves. This is reflecting the image of God. And so community is huge and it is a big part not only of how we were made it's stamped on and by the way can we not see in what has happened in our society in the last two years and the isolation that we have been in and the effect that it has had in so many people's hearts that that really is stamped in our creation Do you know how many people are struggling with mental health issues because of this isolation, have turned to uh, outside stimulus, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, all of this stuff, because we weren't made to be isolated. We were made to be in community. And what I want to argue with you today is that in our redemption, we were also made to be in this community called the church. And that this church was going to be this place where we were going to thrive. Where we're going to bear the image of God towards one another. And we are going to show grace. And we're going to show compassion. And we're going to show forgiveness. And we're going to, we're going to love each other more than we love ourselves. And this is the place where in this community that we're going to thrive. By the way, do you... You know, you ever thought about Jesus? When Jesus came to earth, he could have done it all by himself. 
but he didn't. He put himself in community. He surrounded himself with 12 and then with 70 and then 120, you know, the community. And so when he left, he made this thing called the church. And that's where we get into Ephesians chapter 2. And he's talking about the church. And the, the interesting thing about the church is that the church is this place where there's no racial recognition. His whole argument here is that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, which is the biggest racial piece of their day. So there's, there's nothing that's tied to the, you know, the color of your skin or where you came from. We're just part of the family of God. And it has nothing to do with social class because this is where both slave and free come and we worship and we love one another. It has no economic class because there's both the rich and the poor. And we're here in this community and we're all one and we minister to one another. And so that is a context. This is what he says, starting in verse 19 of Ephesians 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now he gives two pictures here of what this community is to be like. The first picture is of God's household. It's a picture of a family. That we belong. And if you've ever stopped and thought about it, this is a picture that Jesus used a lot. Remember with Nicodemus, he's talking about what it meant to become in relationship with God. The word he used is born again, born into the family of God. You think of Jesus who has his disciples there and he's been healing and lots of things have been going on and his mother and his brother show up. And they're all concerned about him. And so they come to Jesus, hey, your mother and your brother are outside and they want to see you. And he goes, no, these are my brothers. These are my mother. These are my sisters. It's this family relationship. And for me, uh, my mind probably goes to us. So for my family, the, the, the one time, maybe my favorite holiday of the year is Thanksgiving. Because that's when we all get together. Typically, we get together at our house, and it's just fun. There's usually 25, 30 of us. There are, you know, there are grandparents, and there are parents, and there are kids, and there are grandkids, and there are aunts and uncles and nephews and nieces. And, you know, we put the fun into dysfunction. Because <laughs> that's the thing about family, right? Is there's a little crazy in every family. And if you think yours is different, you're it, right? You're the crazy one. But it's this family, and, and the interesting thing about family is that they, they're the ones that you do life with and that you learn from, and, and quite honestly, they're the ones who, when you go through tough stuff, are going to be the ones who are going to be there and walk with you through that. The Bible says that you and I as Jews and Gentiles, as bond and free, as rich and poor, as black, white, red, and yellow. We're just all part of God's family, community. The second picture that he uses here 
is that of a building, God's temple. So we have the foundation, the apostles and prophets. Jesus is the, the cornerstone, but we're the bricks. And you even look here on these walls. You can see how these bricks don't stand alone. They would become nothing of themselves. Well, you and I are obviously the, the temples of the Holy Spirit ourselves. But his point here is, but you and I, in this sense of community, we become the temple of God here on this earth. We need one another. We were built into this community. God didn't save us to let us just be out here on an island. We were placed in the family of God. There's another picture used in the book of Acts, and it's the idea of the flock. So it's a picture of sheep, and sheep are communal animals. They need each other. Sheep don't work well by themselves. In fact, they don't usually last long. And there in the book of Acts, as Paul is talking to the elders, he says, Be on guard for yourself and for all your flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God. We have been purchased by God's blood. We are his flock, but we are part of the flock. There's community. The other picture that is given by Paul, which to me is one of the really fun pictures and important pictures to understand because it talks about our diversity, but also the community of which we've been placed in. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's, we're pictured as the body of Christ. And his whole point is, in the body of Christ, there's a lot of distinction. Our hands are different than our feet. Our eyes do something different than our ears, but we're all needed. In fact, his whole point is, if we were all an eye, how would we hear? If we were all hands, how would we walk? We all need each other in our diversity, but we're one. We support one another, and we're all needful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what he says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So, folk, we were created for community, but we were also redeemed for community. And so, when you think of the purpose of community, folk, I just got to say this one more time. As believers, we need each other. We need community. This is what God made us for. It's also what he redeemed us for. It's this, this sense of community. And one of the things, if you ever watch, what, Discovery Channel... You know, the, the wildebeest and the lion. If you ever watch, who do the lions go after? Do they go after the herd? No, not usually. They go after the, the wildebeest that has wandered off by themselves. In fact, when they can't find that, typically what they do is their plan of attack is they actually attack the herd to separate. As believers, we need each other. And I would argue we need each other so much more today because you have to think, again, context. That up until, what, the last hundred years? When people lived, they didn't travel much, right? There, there weren't cars, there weren't airplanes, there weren't trains. There was, they basically lived in the community. You think of the people at Ephesus. Most of those people lived there. They didn't travel, so they, they, they worked with these people, and they lived around these people, and yet he's still telling them how important that community is. And then you start looking at our world where we travel, and we drive, and we go here and there, and we're so separated. How much even more do we need community? 
Because what we find in community is this is where we learn. This is where we learn how to live this thing out. How do we take what he tells us in his word that we are reading and how do we live it out in our life? What does it look like to bear the image of Jesus to this world? We learn from other believers. So this week I was kind of thinking back to some people in my life. I mean, and just ordinary people, just like you and I. I I think of uh, Frank Frank Weber, he was my sixth grade Sunday school teacher. Now you talk about, you want to have crowns in heaven? Be a sixth grade boy Sunday school teacher. And Frank, Frank was a butcher. That's what he did. He was a butcher down at the local grocery store. But he had, uh, he had served our country over in Vietnam. And Frank would take the lessons of the Old Testament and the Bible, and he would often tie them to these stories, these things that he learned, these things that God taught him as he served over in Vietnam. And as a sixth grade boy, man, it was captivating to me, but it was captivating in that, that somehow this was not just about knowledge up here. It was about how do you live this? That it impacts your life think of another man by the name of uh, John Corley. In fact, John's one of our missionaries today, was stepping out mission. And, but I remember meeting John, I think I was probably eighth grade, and I ended up working for him. And uh, man, he taught me so much. I taught him stuff too. If he was here, he would tell you. I taught him patience. <laughs> because John was one of those guys who could do just about anything. I mean, he could stand, he was a good Bible teacher, but he also could take an engine apart and fix it and put it back together. Or he could, you know, you have an issue, you want to build onto your house and how to do that. In fact, what's so cool is what his ministry is today is that they go in and they help in, in disaster. In fact, they're down in Kentucky right now. And because he, it's just how his mind works, he can fix it. He can make it better. And as I've shared with you, folk, when it comes to working with my hands, I've got two left feet. And so I was, uh, I was not his kind of guy, but he, he was very patient. And he taught me, taught me a lot of important things. He taught me integrity. And that the job that we do, I, I work for him as a janitor. The job we do is not just what's going to be seen by people. It's we're doing it for Jesus. And what does that look like? And hard work. I think of, think of a one special, special lady in my life. Her name was Debbie, Debbie Lee. She was the wife of our youth pastor. And, uh, and Debbie was, she was just one of those special ladies of grace, of love, of mercy, now, if you study the Bible, you know a spiritual gift is the gift of mercy. And I think she had it. I can also tell you, I don't. It's not mine. My gift is more like sarcasm and judgment and all that, right? <laughs> but hers, hers was mercy and loving people. And 
always seen the redeemable things. And, and there was just, and she taught me so much about when I would go to the negative side, she would see the positive and what could be built out of that. And man, it, it made a difference in my life and the way I hopefully today view and deal with people, that we deal with grace. I think of another special woman that I, I didn't know her extremely well. She was the wife of one of my mentors. Guy who uh, invested a lot in my life, gave me opportunities to minister, but they would invite me into their home and we get into these long discussions about theology and, and you know, and she, she was just one that, I almost say cantankerous, but in a very kind way, because she would not so much push at my theology, but she would push at my orthopraxy of how I was living it out. You know, and I was this young college, I knew everything. Man, I was so smart then. And yet she would just very graciously and lovingly and yet very purposely begin to push at some of those things that I would say. And, and as I'd walk away, I'd think about it and I'd begin to realize, man, that's not what Jesus would say. That's not what Jesus would do. That's what community does. It's how we learn. How do we live this out? By these people that God put into our life who, who are walking the journey and sometimes they're further down the line. Sometimes they're, they're much closer in the start of the journey, but we learn from them. There's a very interesting scripture in the book of Acts. A young man came on the scene preaching Jesus. The problem was all we knew about Jesus was John's baptism. That this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't even know about the whole crucifixion and resurrection. And his name was Apollos. And this is what it says in Acts 18. And he, Apollos, began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila, so this husband and wife team, heard him, they took him aside and explained. Explain to him the way of God more accurately. That's what, that's what the body of Christ does. That's what community does. And so, folks, that's why we got to say you've got to find your community. You have intentionally, in fact, more so today than even in the Bible times because, because of our ability to travel, we've got to be more intentional about finding community. How do you do that? Well, lots of ways. I mean, we have Bible study classes, so next hour... Just like right now, there's Bible study classes going on here. There will be next hour. Find a Bible study class or get involved in the Connect group. They happen in the weeknights. In fact, some of them we're doing on Sunday afternoons, just to, especially for young families, because we'll not only have child care, but also teaching the kids about the, the Word of God and discipling them. There's men's groups, women's groups. They typically happen in the morning during the week. There's, to be honest with you, most of my community groups have come from ministry teams. We serve God together. Iron sharpens iron. It happens in ministry. Where are you connecting? Folk, it's how God made you, and it's what he's redeemed you for. This is where you're going to learn. So, folks, it's really simple. If we talk about you can go to events, stop, but if you go to events, you've got to go find it. I said, I need it even simpler. So it's simple. Connect dot dscchurch.com even simpler yet put that qr code in your in your camera right it'll take you right there that's all you got to do 
Kind of like Sam's Club now. If you go get gas, right? That's all you got to do. Find a community group. You've got to get engaged intentionally. In fact, let me be bold here. If you and I do not intentionally get into godly relationships where we can learn from others, you will never become the fully devoted follower of Jesus that he wants you to be. It's that simple. We are made for community. But it's not only where we learn, it's also where we serve. You say, well, service. Again, oh yeah, church is always because they got stuff. No, 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 no. Again, I want to be bold. You will never become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ if you do not serve. Can I say that again? You will never become a fully devoted follower of Jesus if you do not serve. Why? Well, follower of Jesus is being like him, correct? How can you be like Jesus and not serve? His whole reason for coming was to serve. This is what he said. The son of man, speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I cannot become like Jesus unless I'm doing what he, want, what he did. His whole thing was to be here to serve. And that's where the community of the church gives us that place to serve. Not only that, think about this. When you put your faith in Jesus, we talked about last week about entering into relationship with Jesus. So in that moment that we put our faith in him, he comes in, he forgives us, he makes us his child, we belong to him, he gives us his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit in that same moment gives us a spiritual gift that we did not have prior. Why? So we can serve. Why do we need to serve? Because we're trying to take on the character of Jesus. Peter puts it like this. He says, as each one has received, by the way, past tense, a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards, right? We're, we're entrusted with this. We are called to serve. And it's so important to him. He didn't just say, oh, go find, go do it. No, I'm going to give you a special gift to do this. Give me a third reason why this is so important. So Jesus is at the end of the Passion Week. He's gathered his disciples in the upper room. He's going to the cross. I mean, literally within two, three hours. He's going to be in the garden sweating great drops of blood. And yet in that, can you imagine all that was on his mind at that moment? All the weight that he was feeling. And yet in that moment, what we read is that he took a pan of water and a towel and he went and he washed the disciples' feet. Why? In this crucial, I mean, we don't see it any other time. Why now? The reason why now is he wanted us to understand he was leaving and he was leaving us together and we needed now to be his hands and feet. And so this is what he says. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I gave you an example that you should do these things as I did to you. Now notice what he says. And if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. It's not, Eric, you're blessed because I did this to you and I served you. No, I am blessed because I served you. You get that? The blessing is upon us who serve. Because that's what we were made to do. And then he finishes it up with these incredible words, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, by the way, that's not a new commandment. That's in the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's new? What's new is the even as I have loved you. That's the new part. He sets the bar way higher than just simply loving your neighbor as yourself. It's we are to love the way Jesus loved. I just washed your feet. That's how we are to love. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Here's the thing, though. We'll never become a fully devoted follower of Jesus without learning to serve. Because that is the character of Jesus. It's where we are blessed, is in serving. But what happens is often somebody comes and they preach a sermon like this. And usually it's followed with, hey, we have a need here. And we jump into places where we have no passion and we have no gifting. And it's miserable. I think I told you the story. Tammy and I were teaching Young Mary's Bible study class back at uh, Palmcroft way back in the day. And I kept trying to get somebody, because our class was growing, we wanted fellowship, to come and make coffee. I don't even like the smell of coffee, let alone the taste of coffee. Coffee is, to me why anybody would pay what they pay, which I pay because somebody in my family drinks it. Um, I don't get it, all right? It's just not my thing. But I couldn't get anybody to make the coffee. So I decided I will serve my group. I will get up and make the coffee. Well, you know, kind of my thing in life is a little is good, a lot's got to be better, right? Little Pepsi's good, a lot of Pepsi's better, right? That's just the way, that's how my drink of choice works. I don't know. The only word I heard that morning was sludge. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, because it's all bad to me. And thankfully, after that, I never had to make coffee. I had all these people sign up, right? So to be honest with you, as somebody who's a part of Desert Springs, if they came and said, hey, we have a need to, you know, we, we need coffee makers, I would never sign up for that because it is neither my passion, nor is it my gifting, nor would it bless anybody. And that's the problem. So often, well, here's a need. So, all right, we feel obligated, right? I've got to be like Jesus. So I'm gonna... No, no, you've got to think about this. And the cool thing is, is that there's so many places to serve, especially in a church like ours, which the size and the scope that we do. Look, what is your passion? I got the coolest email or text last week after church. There's a guy who's been around here forever. He loves Jesus. He loves teaching kids the word of God. But unfortunately, he's walked through some health issues, and he had to step away. And then especially with COVID, he had to be away. Texted me last week after service. I was back in my Sunday school class today, right? It's his passion. You can read the joy in his heart. Where is that? What has God passioned you to do? What has he gifted you to do? Find it. And there's, again, boatload of places. And I, again, I wanted to make this really simple. 
So instead of going to events, you got to find it. Just simply serve.dscchurch.com. There's a zillion places there. Hey, maybe i got interest in young people. Maybe i got interest in kids. Maybe I don't like kids at all. I like tech stuff, right? Just go there or the QR code. Find a place to serve. Why? Because we are trying to make it stick. We are trying to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, doing what he's called us to do. That's why he calls us to connect with others, because that's where we're going to learn, and that's where we get to serve. And those are two indispensable pieces of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm.